Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth clothing for all kinds of weather, all kinds of terrain, all kinds of budgets. It's clothing that just works. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. Got to give a quick shout out to Patreon and host of the Generations to Hunt podcast, Joe Davis. Uh, he's had a pretty rough season. He's out in the late season with his recurve and was able to take down a doe uh super pumped for joe can't wait to do that myself uh congratulations again uh good job joe this is going to be the last week for you guys to sign up for patreon to get in on any of the q4 giveaways from our great partners at huntworth latitude lucky buck spartan forge genesis 3d kanadi zinger and big shot targets uh Genesis 3D just came up with a code just for Patreons. Uh, so if you're looking at getting some things that you didn't get in your stocking and you want to save some coin on that, you can sign up for Patreon. And he's got a code specifically for that. Check him out at Genesis3D.com. Um, Big Shot Targets, they wanted me to remind you. So if your club or your archery shop is looking for any new targets, uh, at ATA they're going to have a bunch of the Iron Man 48s and a couple of the Vegas 600s uh, on sale. Uh, looking to move so they'd be great for uh, your club your shop or maybe one of the lanes in your basement uh, if you got a big place um, definitely want to check those out go on to bigshottargets.com and you know you can save some money with code bcp you can save 10 percent over there at big shot but all of our partners give away something every quarter not just to us we're giving back and our Patreons are the lifeblood of this podcast. We're creating a great community through Marco Polo. Um, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Bullhunter Chronicles podcast, or you can just click on the link on our website or Instagram. But this podcast is, again, about building that community um, through giving back to veterans. The hunting industry, people that hunt, I think, have the biggest hearts and are so empathetic to veterans and first responders. And uh, Andrew here is no different. 
with the outdoor driven nonprofit, um, getting veterans out there, saving lives, affecting people, uh, changing lives. Um, you guys are going to love this podcast. Pretty heartfelt. And as always, thanks for listening. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast and uh, coming at you with a little bit different take today. Um, we got Andrew Cumtis here with uh, Outdoor Driven uh, talking about his nonprofit. Um, I know a lot of people out there that listen to the uh, podcast. A lot of our Patreons uh, are all veterans. It seems like, you know, that's one thing uh, for hunters in the outdoors is like, there's, there's nobody that doesn't have a soft spot for, uh, veterans. And, uh, I don't see, he didn't come on here eating crayons. Uh, maybe he just finished <laughs> yeah. it up, but he, he is a fellow Marine. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, that's where we get a bad rap. Like we couldn't possibly, uh, have any brains in our head to do, uh, kind of, kind of what we signed up to do. But, uh, he, I, I, I'll give you this. I've had enough conversations with him. He is, he is a jarhead and, uh, true, yeah. True. So, uh, how's everything for you? Uh, how's everything going, Andrew? Oh, it's good. You know, we had to, uh, take all the crayons and put them into my daughter's little plastic cases and stuff. You know, there's a child safety lock on them. And sometimes I struggle trying to open it, you know, in case I want a snack. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, Christmas is a big time for, you know, those 64 uh, packs of crayons. Like it, it can get tough to, to, to resist. It's gotta, right? the, it's gotta be the Crayola brand. I mean, that off brand stuff, I can't have that anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so Andrew, like, what let, let's go from like a, a hunting side of this. Um, so like as a kid growing up, did you grow up hunting? Or was that like a big part of your life, you know, before you uh, joined the Marine Corps? So, I mean, like most kids, you know, you get to that age and you're like, Hey, I want to, I want a BB gun. And lo and behold, I, I have my old red rider and, um, you know, I was shooting tons of pop cans and beer cans with it. And, you know, occasionally I would be outside and, you know, I would, shoot out a bird or something like that that was flying by and you know my dad would always tried to yell at me he's like oh you kill it you eat it um my dad didn't really uh wasn't really a big hunter uh growing up um his his uh well, I mean, my grandpa but his dad passed away uh, while my dad was at a very very young age and you know my grandpa was really big into upland bird hunting and my dad just never really kind of took that that torch on with it. But uh, he was big into the outdoors in general, um, really heavy with Boy Scouts. And he got me into the outdoors at a very young age, just, you know, camping, hiking, just survival stuff. And it wasn't until when my cousin, uh, when she got married, her husband, he came and was like, hey, how old are you? I'm like 11. Oh, I was 10. I think I was 10 at the time. And he's like, you into hunting? I said, uh, no. And he's like, well, do you want to, I can get, you know, so I was like, sure. And I sign up for hunter safety and then, um, went to a yard sale, picked up, uh, I can't even tell what the brand it was, you know, I think it was like a $20 bow. I had three pins on it. I mean, you know, the aluminum shaft arrows. So, I mean, this, this was a, a garage sale bow. That was my first bow I ever had. And, and I got into deer hunting when I was 12 years old and, um, it's kind of crazy when I look back at that because, um, I never had any hunting experience and my cousin just told me, yeah, get up in the tree stand, sit there, don't talk, be quiet. And I'm thinking like, okay, he's going to take me out and, 
you know, be next to me or something like that. No, no, it was, I hit the ground running. He was like, there's a tree. And I looked at him and he's like, climb up the tree, put your safety harness on, bring your bow up, put your arrow in, clip in your release and wait. I'm like, okay. So I did all that. I had the arrow knocked. I had, you know, my release clipped in and I'm sitting up there and I was wearing just an old pair of my dad's, you know, my dad was, you know, uh, he was in the Navy, but then joined the national guard. So I had some of his uh, old army fatigues and I'm out there freezing my butt off because all I had on was like a sweatpants and a sweatshirt with those fatigues on over top of it. 12 year old sitting up in a, in a tree stand by myself, just shaking just because of how cold it was. I'm like what we're having right now in Michigan, but that kind of is what started my, my hunting. Um, I said 12 years old, I didn't kill my first deer until I was 14. Um, opening day rifle season, you know, cause back then, you had to be uh, 14 to legally hunt with a, a rifle. And um, I had some does that came running by and, you know, back when, you know, we could bait. But again, it was how I was raised and I didn't start changing up my style of hunting, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Um, you know, Michigan, hey, we hunted over bait. You know, I never was really taught how to do the scouting part until I got older. But this uh, deer stopped and I had a single shot, 243. I picked it up, put it right through the window and crosshairs right on the, you know, the bread box. And I pulled the trigger, took off running, ran about, uh, say maybe 40 yards. And I saw it keel over. And I remember walking on my heart's pounding. And as I'm walking up to what I thought was a doe, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then I get up to it and there's these nice little bumps on top of its head. So my first ever deer was, uh, unfortunately it was a button buck, but you know, as a 14 year old kid, I mean, I, I was on cloud nine. I mean, I killed my first deer and, you know, that kind of got, got the, the rest of my career set for, you know, deer hunting. Yeah. It's interesting. I was just having this conversation with my wife about like, you know, my, we I took my daughter out this year. She's been hunting uh, a couple of times, but, um, this was the first year she was behind the gun and she, she ended up killing a, a, a spike. And, uh, really cool experience, you know, got to video the whole thing. And my wife was asking me about like my first, you know, hunting experiences. And it was pretty similar to like what you just outlined there with the, you know, just why I had no sticks or anything. There was, maybe I had a couple like screw in steps and like climbed up a tree, hung my tree stand. And I, I don't know if you were of the, the age, but the, the safety harnesses used to just be a belt. So it was like yeah. a loop that went no, around the just, tree, <laughs> just went around your you waist. Yep. Put yep. your arms up like this. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, my first deer hunt, I actually, uh, missed a deer, uh, maybe twice. I know I missed it at least once, uh, straight down, but then with a rifle, 14 years old, same thing. But my dad just said, sit here in the, on the ground, like just <laughs> sit, sit here. And, uh, I ended up shooting a spike that was, I mean, I think you could have tagged it with, uh, with a doe permit. Like it was, bare, but they were, they were bone, you know, little tiny ones. And, um, you know, then that night I ended up shooting a doe, uh, but same thing, you know, there was no, there was nobody there telling me to, you know, wait or be quiet or like, this is a big mm-hmm. shot. It's just like, here you go. Say here. Um, it's just, just different. And I think 
you know, the way that it, um, the way that it is today with the youth hunt and being able to, you know, as much as I don't like, you know, some of the things around the youth hunt where, you know, dad does all the work and the kids just sit out there and shoot a 140 and it, it, it changes their perspective maybe. Um, but the mentoring aspect of it, I think is a lot, uh, uh, it's almost required, uh, in some degree because, you know, my, my daughter, as much as she spent time in the woods, like she's, that she, she couldn't go out there and find anything herself or do anything. So, you know, being around it, she kind of has to take something away from it. And so from there, from 14 to, to when you went into the Marine Corps, like, were you hunting every year? Was it like become like a passion of yours or was it kind of like the Michigan thing where it was just like, it's November 15th. It's a holiday. We go out for opening weekend and then come back. No. So I actually never had a deer camp. Um, my, I said, when my cousin, she was married. Um, I, I still call him my cousin because you know, he's, he's family to me. Um, and he, uh, you know, I, he lived in Beaverton, Michigan and, you know, from Bay city to Beaverton, you know, 45 minute drive. So weekends I would, I would go out, you know, I was October 1st, I was always up in a tree stand somewhere and November 15th, you know, if I didn't kill anything with my bow, which I I never did (laughs) until I got a little bit more older, but, uh, no, I, I, I deer hunted, you know, every year, you know, I, I always started off with my bow and then, uh, transition to the rifle. And then, you know, if nothing happened then, you know, you know, muzzle loader, I also got into uh waterfowl hunting and that's a huge passion of mine too. Um, had a couple friends, you know, when I was, you know, same thing, young age, you know, their dad was a big waterfowl hunter. So they would take us out and stuff. And so, I mean, I just, you know, I got bit by the, the outdoor bug and, you know, it just kept growing and, I wanted to like, I wanted to learn more. And just as I started to kind of understand the concept of, you know, what the rut is and, you know, the scouting aspect, because that's what my, my cousin, he would put me up in a tree stand and, you know, then eventually he's like, all right, well go hang, go hang a tree stand. And I'm like, I don't know where to put it. And he, so he would kind of like show me some things, but you know, we always have a saying in the Marine Corps and I'm sure other branches have it too, you know, pain retains, you know, if you do something and it hurts, like, Hey, fire, you touch it, burn your finger. Ah, that's hot okay, well, you're going to retain that, you know, it's the same concept. And, you know, I was hunting a tree stand and he said, well, that's a, that's a bad spot for the wind for today to hunt that. I'm like, what do you mean the wind? I mean, you know, I just, there's so much that I just, I didn't learn. And, you know, I kind of feel like I, I missed out on a lot of awesome hunting opportunities because of the knowledge that I didn't have, but then that ultimately falls back on myself for not taking those steps. And when I started to ask him the questions, he's like, man, it only took you five years to finally ask me how to do this stuff. I'm like, Oh geez. Okay. You know, <laughs> but, um, deer duck and stuff until I, you know, joined the Marine Corps, which that led up to 2005 when I actually enlisted into the United States Marine Corps. And so what was that, the uh, decision for you? And then what was like your MOS and your, your journey in the, in the Marines? Uh, the decision to join. Well, yeah. So uh, the decision to join and then like, 
like did you just did your score dictate like uh your MOS or were you like me and you oh, were just yeah. like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that I scored a 99 on the ASVAB like I want to be infantry like I think I would really like to do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um I always joke and say this like our family we're like the lieutenant dans of the world you know not that you know in every war we died in but um, we, you can trace our family, you know, heritage back, lineage back to the French and Indian war. We were French voyageurs back then. And we actually fought in the French and Indian war. I mean, my cousin did a big research thing. So, I mean, we fought in almost every major war that the United States was in. So it was just kind of like, I think like a genetic thing. Like, I mean, my first memories, you can see photos of me as a kid and I'm wearing, you know, my dad's or wearing a camouflage uniform saying, I'm going to be a soldier. So like my family knew at a very young age that, you know, I was going to be joining the military and it was just a matter of picking the branch. And, you know, I, I've said this before on another podcast, I was originally wanted to be a Navy SEAL, but um, I would join the Navy Sea Cadets. I went to this two week little buds course and this one instructor there was like, Hey, mentally, physically, I know you can handle it. He's like, there's no doubt in my mind, but what's your plan B? And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, what if you get hurt, you know, and you get recycled back? What are you going to do? You know, do you want to be stuck on a, on a ship? And I'm like, I never really thought of that. So when I came home, I was, you know, going in to go talk to the Navy recruiter. And as I was walking in, he was out for lunch or something. And just like good old recruiters, you know, the guy pops his head out in the hallway. Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm here to talk to him. He's like, for what? I'm like, oh, you know, and then he's like, well, what are you trying to do? I'm like, Navy SEAL. He's like, you ever heard of Marine Recon? I'm like, what's that? <laughs> and here it is, you know, cast out that line. And I'm like, you know, biting onto the hook. And he reeled me into his office and we sat down and started talking. And he, uh, you know, told me about Marine Force Recon. And, you know, he's like, hey, you know, if something happens and you can't make it, well, you can still be infantry. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, so I went and took my ass fab, which, you know, I just, whatever it's an ass fab i don't care you know just you know get it done get me out of here it's a stupid test and didn't realize that uh it actually meant what jobs you could get and <laughs> my, my first gt score wasn't high enough to actually go recon so i ended up uh 0331 became a machine gunner and i was a machine gunner for about two years uh, i'm sorry uh, two deployments. Um, I was deployed a total of seven times. I did three tours in Iraq, two in Afghanistan, and two on Navy ships. And um, after my second deployment, um, I was talking with a couple of guys in a scout sniper platoon, and they said, "Hey, we got an in doc. You should try out." And you know, I said, "Well, my GT score is not high enough to go to school." And they're like, "Oh, dude, there's waivers for everything." So I ended up joining platoon. I mean, past the past the indoc. Back then, we could say indoc. You know, now it's considered verbal hazing. So it was a screener. <laughs> um, so past the indoc, made it to the platoon. Uh, trained with them. Deployed to Iraq as a as a pig. You know, that's what they called all the non hogs. So uh, professionally instructed gunmen is what a pig stands for, and then the term hog stands for hunter of gunmen. I can get into a lot more of the history with that, but um, came back from that deployment, went to school, graduated the Scout Sniper Basic course, became a team leader, and um, you know I finished out my career in the Marine Corps as a Marine Scout Sniper, and I you know I took a lot of pride in that, and ultimately that 
is kind of what led me really heavy back into archery hunting. Um, so I joined from in 2005 and I, uh, I got forced out in 2018. I had service limitations after 13 years. Um, I got an NJP back in 2008, but you know, Hey, what, what, you know, most good Marines did get in trouble. I see all these stepping scales. Oh, I got two of them. You're fine. Well, I wasn't fine because the Marine Corps that, that black eyed my record and, you know, it didn't matter, you know, honor graduates out of, I don't know how many schools. I mean, letters of recommendation. I mean, I got a, you know, a sheet that is like a mile long of great accomplishments I had in my career. But, uh, the thing that kind of boiled down to was I apparently deployed too many times, you know, my seven deployments, I didn't do a B bill and I didn't, you know, do what the Marine Corps wanted. I just kept deploying. So once I got honorably, you know, discharged from the Marine Corps, um, my life hit rock bottom. And I guess this is kind of going to lead into where I think this is going to go. But, um, you know, I had in 2006, I was blown up and, you know, with our Humvee, um, and I suffered a traumatic brain injury. And, uh, after I got out between that, having uh, PTSD and the wife, you now we dealt with seven miscarriages that led to the birth of our daughter. I mean, my life, I, I hit rock bottom, like hard and, um, I mean, I was substance abuse with alcohol and it wasn't until one day I just decided that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go hunt. You know, I went and bought my deer tag, you know, shot my bow a couple dozen times, like, eh, I'm dialed in, let's go. You know, I grabbed it, went out there and, uh, went out and sat in this tree stand that, you know, I started to kind of learn a little bit about scouting, um, you know, through, YouTube videos and just talking to my friends. So I went out, scouted an area, found a pretty good deer trail, set up uh, my bow. I mean, I uh, set up my tree stand and I was sitting there and all of a sudden I look and I can see a doe walking down this trail and my heart starts racing. I'm like, man, this is, this is awesome. Like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to freaking fling, I'm going to fling an arrow at, at her. And I was getting all amped up and as she's walking, all of a sudden it was just, it was like the world stopped spinning. Everything got super quiet besides my tinnitus. But, um, I, it was just at that moment, I truly felt at peace for the first time in, in years. And it's, it's something that I look back on and I realized that the road that I was actually on at that time was a, a dead end road. And I, a lot of my brothers that I've known were on that same road. And, you know, we all know the outcome when you hit that, the dead end. I'm not sure exactly whereabouts on that road I was, but I mean, I was definitely on it and I knew I was on it. And it was at that moment that I realized that I needed to change. I needed to do something different in my life. And, you know, the summarize that whole experience right then and there was being in the outdoors saved my life, you know? seeing that doe come walking down that trail and i just watched her i didn't even i didn't even clip in draw back nothing i just watched her she just walked right in front of me i mean she did it perfect and it was just because of the moment i was in that i you know it forever changed my life and from that day forward i i needed to get on a, a different road which you know eventually led me to starting my own nonprofit, but um, before I even started that nonprofit, I helped out a different one for about four years there. They weren't from Michigan. They were out of state. And 
had a friend of mine that came to me and he said, Hey, why don't you start your own nonprofit? And I started laughing. I mean, I got a full-time job, you know, got a, got a one and a well, my, my daughter's two now, but you know, at the time it was like, you know, I have a year and a half year old and I'm like, dude, I have no time to even think, you know, between, you know, moving into a new house, the house projects, having to try to start a nonprofit. But, you know, I started to think on it a little bit and, you know, I, I realized that I wasn't getting a lot of support from the community because people that would invest in what I was trying to do, that money went out of state. And, you know, there's a lot of people that really didn't want to, you know, pitch in a whole lot of money because, you know, it was just going out of state. So when I started this nonprofit, I started to kind of preach to the community and like, Hey, you know, your money is helping support all of our local veterans, all of our local first responders to get them into the outdoors. And, you know, I tell people that testimony I had about how it saved my life and it, it really changes people, you know, it kind of pulls on their heartstring a little bit and, you know, a lot of people then started donating money and then we started getting up, you know, a handful of good sponsors, a lot of great support from the community. And, you know, we're going to, we closed this year. Um, we took out, oh, uh, I think it was a uh, hundred and I got the number written down. I think we took out 140 veterans and first responders for our our first year. And that's something that I can take a lot of pride in because that was a lot of hard work and, you know, time that I put into trying to set up these trips, you know, some were a huge success. I had a couple deer hunts that, um, we didn't, we didn't kill a deer, but at the same time, the, the conversations we had in that deer blind with some of those veterans, you know, I could tell that it, it it helped them out because a lot of them were struggling with stuff. And, you know, it kind of made me realize that, you know, maybe not every trip is meant to be, you know, us, you know, killing a deer, you know, that's just kind of a, an added bonus. I mean, that, that camaraderie, that brotherhood that we all had while we were in the service. And then once getting out, you know, to kind of have someone that's a like-minded individual back into your, you know, your realm again really really helped them out and you know i afterwards i'm like hey sorry you know we didn't kill a deer and they're like dude it's it's not about that you know and then just to see the like the smile on their face and the firm handshake afterwards and just the big thank you like you don't understand how bad i needed this and you know i can look right back at them and tell them like trust me like i do know because you know it it, it saved me so in that in that kind of moment of revelation there when you were in the deer stand and then moving forward to kind of like where you're at now and what you've seen with these veterans, what do you think it is about hunting or archery that really connects with, you know, people that are dealing with some of the things that, that veterans and first responders, people with, you know, PTSD and that sort of thing, uh, how do you think the two are connected? Well, for a lot of it, it's providing that platform for them, you know, like waterfall hunting. Like I, I know it's born in Chronicles, but like, you know, I have the duck boat, I have the decoys, I have the calls and stuff. So literally I can sit there and be like, Hey Adam, all you gotta do is bring a shotgun. You know, we're, I'm hoping to be purchasing a shotgun for the nonprofit soon. So, I mean, eventually I can just be like, you don't need nothing. But, um, 
duck hunting is really cool because we can sit there and have those conversations in the, in the boat and you know bang up some ducks it's awesome but at the end of the day when you really talk about like archery and how powerful archery is you know you get that bow and you get those arrows and um a mutual friend of ours chris ham you know he had on one of his podcasts he talked about um i i forgot his first name but uh Wooten, it was the very first one he he talked about it and, and it's it's so true i mean when you you get clipped into that release and you clip into that, you know, a loop on the back of that bow and you draw that bow back and you focus in on that site. I mean, there's nothing in that world in that moment that can happen. That's going to really take you away from that focus. Like it's, it's an awesome means to an escape, you know, for people to, you know, grab that bow. And you know how I kind of mentioned about how, you know, I wasn't a big fan of um, gun hunting and how I was getting into archery hunting because it's not a challenge to me anymore, you know, with a rifle and to be able to sit there with a bow and actually have to put in all that time, all that effort. I mean, I, the last three years, my knowledge has grown tenfold on just deer hunting in general because it is so much more rewarding when you sit there, you put the time in, you put the hours in the scouting, you know, trying to figure out the patterns of these deer, where they're bedding at, you know, and then the rut comes around. I mean, that's, that's most of our favorite time of year. And you go and all of a sudden you see that beautiful buck come walking in and you get that heart race and you can actually connect with that buck or even with that doe. I mean, it is, it is 10 times more rewarding. And that's something that, I want to have these veterans and first responders experience, you know, I want to be able to give them those platforms to get out there and show them like, Hey, here's all the tools that you're going to need. And this is something that you can now focus on. You can sit there. If you're, you know, come springtime, you're stressed off. I mean, stressed, <laughs> stressed out. You're stressed out. Okay. Well, Hey, I remember that seminar because this 2024 season, we're going to be doing a lot of, uh, um, different seminars where we're going to take, you know, men and women out on the state land and show them how to do some scouting. Cause then it's a tool that they can use. So when you get stressed, you can sit there and go out into the woods where it's peaceful, where it's quiet and actually put the time in. And all of a sudden now you're focusing on, on that. And you're now you're not, you know, worried about the stresses going on at work or in your personal life. And when you get home, you know, you can grab that bow and, you know, if you don't got a place to shoot, you can go to a bowman's club or find some state land and get out there and you can clip into that bow. And, you know, you, you make that one-time investment with the bow and the arrows and you can just constantly keep shooting. And it's, it's very therapeutic. And that's something that I want to provide for, you know, all these veterans, first responders is that therapeuticness of how it can be. I mean, it's like golf. I mean, you could sit there and, you know, you can drive the ball down the center of the fairway and then you chip it and you slice it, it goes off in the woods, you know, the same thing. You can probably send one area like, Oh man, I'm dialed in. Then your next arrow is like, you know, you, you flinch, you jerk the trigger. I mean, there's so many mechanics that go into actually shooting and it's something that you have to get the repetitions in. And it's not like with a handgun, you know, you go buy a box of ammo, 50 rounds later, okay, now I'll go buy another box of ammo. 
you know, you go and you buy your dozen arrows and you have them. I mean, you can shoot them as long as you take care of them. You can shoot them thousands and thousands of times, those same 12 arrows. So it's, it's a platform that we really want to try to focus in on moving forward so that, you know, again, we can just reach out to these veterans and first responders and, you know, hook them up maybe with some bows, hook them up with, you know, the arrows and show them like, Hey, this is where you can go shooting at show them how to hunt the teeth, just to basically become a mentor for these individuals to give them that escape that they, that they desperately need. So it sounds like the, the program is relatively new. And in the first year you've taken, you know, well over a hundred individuals out. What is the process for that? And what were some of the like learning curves that you had to deal with, uh, getting into that? Cause it seems that, that seems like a lot. Cause we've only got so yeah. many, you know, so many days of hunting, um, and, and all that, that's a lot of guys, a lot of trips. It is. Um, no, I did do a big golf outing that we did take out, um, 106, uh, veterans, first responders. We fundraised for that. So we provided them for a free day of golf. So I mean, like that was a big event that we took out a big number of people on. So that, that really kind of got my number up there, but all the other trips, it was, man, if you, you want to talk about a learning curve, I'll tell you what, every trip I, I learned a lot on, um, the planning process because you sit there and it's like, okay, Hey Adam, we're going to plan a deer hunt, you know, a month from now or two, you know, like two months from now, you know, you plan out a trip. I mean, you, you do a lot of out of state trips. So, I mean, you know, what it's like where you plan something like, all right, you know, granted you guys are planning like a week. I'm planning a day, a weekend. And I have no idea what the weather is going to be like, you know, three weeks from now. So on top of me stressing like the week or two leading up to that, that hunt or that trip, I'm constantly checking the weather, the wind on top of going out and scouting. And the hard part I had for my first year for, especially the deer hunting was we don't have actual property yet. You know, I'm hoping one day to find that, that random person that has a farm field that they're like, or chunk of property. And they're like, Hey, uh, Kids don't hunt no more. We don't want it. You know, donate it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. But um, I, I do hope that we can actually get a chunk of property in the future where I do know what the the deer are doing. You know, that was the hard part was a lot of people donated their lands for us to actually get out there to, to use this season. And the first deer hunt I did, the guy's like, yep, there's deer blind here, deer blind here. Just go set up deer, come in food plot. You're all set. I'm like, okay. So we sat there and I had no idea. I'm like, all right, you know, where's their bedding at? Where's the, I mean, I started running through all my scouting stuff. So I put my faith into a person that owned the property and it didn't pan out at all. So then the next trip I did, I mean, I went out, you know, three weeks prior, you know, again, you know, checking cameras, checking um, you know, trails, you know, I was scouting and I, I put in a lot of my personal time into, you know, trying to scout for, you know, that one day and we got out there and it was, it was a blizzard this year. <laughs> so we're sitting there and like the one day we actually got good snow and ended up just dumping on us and those deer, they harbored up and they didn't move until the last 30 minutes of light. And they came a totally different direction than I thought. So, I mean, 
the planning process was kind of easy. It's like, Hey, we're going to go, we're going to go deer hunt on you know, November 15th opening day. All right, cool. got it. And we're going to go hunt here. But you know, it's the scouting that you have to put in because I want to make sure every experience that they go on is a good one. And, you know, I sit here and I will, I fundraise for a reason, you know, I'm not going to, take these veterans first responders to mcdonald's you know to go grab lunch like we're gonna go to like a nice restaurant somewhere we're gonna put you up in a holiday inn at the time because i want to make sure that even if the hunting trip wasn't a total success you know where they slept at with the food they ate you know the camaraderie that they had that you know it's it's a good experience for them so i mean there's even as we talk now, I'm thinking of, you know, future trips I got coming up and the stuff that I still got to do. You know, my wife's been a, an absolute blessing in my life because she is very computer savvy and she has super OCD with like organization. So she has spreadsheets, Excel files, Word documents. I mean, we have so many different um, um, templates. Like I got a new template now. So if everyone decides they want to do something like this in the future, my wife created a template for me where I would sit down and bring my computer and on the trip, I would type notes on, you know, you know, because after these trips are done, we got to do a social media post. So I'm in there typing up, you know, what the weather was like and stuff, you know, where we slept, where we ate, you know, did we like this location, just all these key notes so that in the future, when I go to plan again, if I'm in the same area, you know, I kind of know the, the do's and don'ts of, you know, for that particular area and that particular style of trip that we're trying to do. So uh, how many, we, we haven't really got into the organization that much. So who, uh, how many people are involved in this? Is it a, is it a one man show or, you know, uh, because it seems like if it, if it is a one man show, that's a huge, uh, undertaking, uh, you know, a, a couple more guys would really kind of make it a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. So I have the, I mean, my, my board, so I have a board, you know, we got a nonprofit, so we have a board and, um, the president on my board, he's a, he's a close friend of mine and he was a army special operations and he actually kind of helped me and guided me to pick the rest of our board members. And every board member was a strategic pick. And that was the thing is we didn't want to have a lot of my friends on the board, which the board members are now all my friends, but originally I didn't want that because then you have, you know, kind of personal, you know, interest at play with stuff. So I have an, a, I have a, again, you know, a strong board, but, um, besides my wife that handles all of our social media emails, she's a graphic designer. So all of our logos, like she designs all that stuff. So she takes a lot of that stuff off my plate, but um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a one man show right now. Um, I've been very blessed so far that I've been able to get, excuse me, drinking a, a Verner. So there it is. <laughs> um, been very blessed that, um, been making a lot of great connections and it's just crazy how some of them span, um, a mutual friend of ours too, uh, Shane Browning, um, he's becoming a close friend of mine and he's one that we're going to, you know, put on a couple different, uh, seminars and clinics, you know, with, in the, uh, the Bay city Bowman's club, you know, we're going to go out there and set up some shoots and stuff. And, you know, he's, he's starting to kind of step up to help, help out a little bit with a lot of that kind of planning stuff, giving me some good ideas, but, um, 
you know, it's, it is a lot for me to do by myself. Um, like I said, I still got the support of my board. You know, they still send me referrals. Hey, call this person. Hey, here's a great idea. You know, here's something that you should look into, but they're not the ones that are going to sit there and make that phone call to that corporation to get that check to get donated to us. You know, they're like, Hey, here's a guy call and talk to him. Be like, we're not going to, we're not going to do it for you. This is your organization. If you want this to succeed, you got to start proving it to us or showing us like how bad you want it. And ultimately that's what it's been. I mean, it's been an, uh, a very hard grind for us and for me personally, mentally and physically trying to do everything. You know, again, I'm still trying to look into trying to get some, um, I'm hoping to get some brand ambassadors in the near future that can, you know, take that burden off of my plate on these trips. But, um, a big thing is with these trips, you know, yeah, I, I do go on, you know, these trips, but it's, it's the experience that I've had. It's a story that I've had that, you know, I can relate to, you know, these veterans and first responders that, you know, some people just, they can't do that. And that's kind of why my board wants me going on a lot of these trips because they want me to be the one that connects with these individuals on that personal level. Um, you know, I got a quick story. I could be here for hours telling a whole bunch of them, but just a, a testimony. It wasn't with my nonprofit. It was the one that I was helping, but it was a deer hunt. And again, you know, I was talking about the stupid weather. We, uh, we got out there and I mean, it was like a monsoon. And I, I told him the day prior, I'm like, Hey man, you know, I was trying to get him all excited about the trip. And I'm like, Hey, you know, ultimately I'm tell you, like, I don't think we're going to see anything. Like, I mean, it, it is going to rain. And he's like, you know, I haven't been deer hunting in a very long time. You know, it would be nice just to be out in the woods. I'm like, all right, man, let's go. And uh, I took him out there. And I mean, it was when I said a monsoon, I mean, I mean, it was it was pouring rain and we had a ton of wind. And in the back of my head, I'm like, man, I should have grabbed a shotgun. I'm like, dude, let's go jump in my duck boat. But, you know, we sat in that blind and we had some good conversations. And there was a couple that got real real dark and personal um and after one of the conversations we had he reached in his pocket and he he handed me something and he had in between his uh you know index finger and his thumb was a nine millimeter bullet and he's like hey i want you to have this and of course i'm kind of puzzled because you know we're sitting there you know bow hunting and he hands me a bullet and he's like I don't think you understand what this bullet is. And, you know, me getting choked up at the time, I said, you know, kind of like I am right now. I'm like, you know, I'm like, dude, I, I do because that bullet was meant for him. He told me that two weeks prior to that trip, uh, he was ready to take his life. And I kept reaching out to him like, Hey man, you know, try, I'm trying to get him like excited about this upcoming trip. And he told himself that like, Hey, he was going to go on this trip and, it's kind of sad when I say this now, but he's like, he's going to base, you know, his decision off of this trip. And I'm like, you know, I didn't realize at the time, but like looking back, I'm like, we didn't see a deer. We didn't kill anything, but it was that, that conversation, that camaraderie that we were able to develop in that deer blind that ultimately, you know, that saved his life. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what it comes down to, you know, not every trip is going to be a success, but you know, 
I look back at that. I look back on a couple of those other deer hunts I've had and some of the other fishing trips we've done that weren't a big success, but to see like the smiles on their faces and to kind of tell like that that trip made a difference to them. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what it all comes down to, you know, it's not just, you know, all the planning, the hours spent, it's, it's trying to see if you can develop that connection, that relationship with that individual and see if they are struggling, you know, our number one, you know, clients we want are, you know, men and women with PTSD and, you know, you can't always tell if someone has it or not, but you know, at the end of the day, like they're the ones that we want. We want the ones that have that stress and that want to find that escape and we want to be able to provide it for them. And so for, for people out there that are listening who either uh, are suffering with PTSD and they're, they're kind of in this situation or people are listening and they say, you know, this might be a good thing uh, for a family member or a friend of mine, you know, uh, how do they, how, what is your process as far as like choosing people for these trips, getting people uh, involved? Because, you know, anytime that you do anything, I'm assuming that there's probably some serious amount of vetting, you know, to a degree, but at the same time, there's going to be people that are trying to, you know, take advantage of, of mm-hmm. anything, right? Yeah, so we actually, um, my last board meeting uh, this month, we I created um, um, a policy that we'll be posting on our website uh, coming up here the first part of January, and it's kind of our our vetting process and how we actually go through and select people for it. So it'll be open to the public. So it's not just you know, hey, I'm going to take Adam because he's my buddy. You know, it's you know there, we do have a process now that we are selecting people, but. Um, I mean, ultimately, like people that are struggling, like they're they're always going to be our our number ones that we want to try to take out to help. But at the same time, you know, as long as you honorably served our country, you know, apply for these trips. You know, the same thing for first responders. You know, you don't have to be, you know, a combat vet to go on our trips. Uh, you don't have to be, you know, a seasoned, you know first responder. I mean, everyone has everyday stresses and that's what we want to try to eliminate. Um, We post stuff on our website um, and we'll do links on our Facebook page too. Those are pretty active. So people want to go onto our website, um, outdoordriven.org. We got upcoming events. We have nothing coming up right now. We're just closing out this year. So don't click on it yet. But um, so we have kind of a criteria, you know, we'll post and it's the thing is we want to try to keep like veterans with veterans, first responders with first responders. You know, we will do a trip for law enforcement, firefighter, paramedic EMS. Like we try to keep them together. The same thing with veterans, because, you know, conversations that you and I can have together are going to be different than a conversation I'm going to have with, you know, a paramedic. So we try to keep like-minded people together too with that. And, you know, it all depends on what the, the trip is, but, you know, everyone can apply for the trip as long as it's, you know, posted for, Hey, this trip is for veterans only then a veteran or active duty service member will be the one that's going to go on that trip. Awesome. Now, I, I guess, you know, you've given a, a, an example of a, of a hunt that was, you know, probably more meaningful than uh, than any harvest or anything like that. But, um, can you share like any like success stories or anything that really stands out as a, a cool hunt that you did that, that w- was successful? Um, unfortunately deer hunting, not this year for us, but 
I I can tell you this. I have some big, big plans on the works right now. Um, I actually reached out to a couple different um, high fence ranches. I'm going to keep them uh, on the down low right now, but um, I've been emailing back and forth. One, I'm going to be able to go out and do some uh, some scouting. And what I told the the guy is that I really want to make that an archery hunt. You know, when I was, when I was talking about how I really want to dive into heavy with archery, you know, that's what I really want to do. But, um, we've had a couple of really great, successful, uh, waterfall hunts. Um, I'm sure, you know, as well as I know in Michigan, the weather's been atrocious for deer hunting, warm weather. I mean, it's, it's been, it's been rough. Um, but a trip that I did, um, that was a big success was, uh, we did a, a sturgeon fishing trip. And we took out some uh, Gold Star family members and we took them out sturgeon fishing. And, you know, this one guy was battling this sturgeon for about, I'd say, 27 minutes almost. And when that fish finally got in the boat, I mean, this guy, I mean, I don't think you could have made him smile any bigger than when he had that fish in that boat. I mean, it was, it was, that right there was probably my favorite trip I did was watching, you know, those Gold Star family members all hook into a dinosaur. I mean, that's a fish of a lifetime for a lot of people. So that was, that was really cool to see that. Um, but like I said, 2024, you know, I would hoping our friendship can keep growing and, you know, we can try to do another one of these next year. And, you know, I can talk about some, uh, some big things that, you know, I had planned that actually did work out that, you know, that is in this lane of, you know, the bow hunting and trying to get out there after some, some nice deer. Oh yeah. You know, for us, the bow hunting is, you know, our passion for a lot of the reasons that, that you outlined there. Um, and, and, you know, probably almost your, your, your come to Jesus moment there, um, by, you know, for, for anyone who hasn't, um, been in that situation with deer underneath your tree stand or whatever, um, there is just a completely different feeling with with archery equipment you know and that's that's what we go for but ultimately the farther this thing gets down the road um it's it's about community and uh you know many things like you you said about you know the the veterans and the uh, shared experiences and all of that and that that's that's what we love about it so it doesn't always have to be despite what uh some some people may uh I don't know what idealize about the whole thing is it doesn't always have to be bow hunting all the time. If we're, you know, if we're making a difference, then, then that's all we can really hope for. Right. So exactly for, for, for what you're doing there, what, you know, I would hope that if people are this far into the podcast and they're listening, you know, we've opened some eyes and, and maybe people are thinking about like, what could we do to help or how could we, you know, assist Andrew in this, or, you know, if we wanted to donate or what kind of things do you need? Um, that sort of thing. So from, from that side of it, if, if somebody wanted to donate, if someone had a, a lease that they, you know, leased out every year and they're like, you know what, I'd like to donate my lease or something, you know, I'd like to offer my lease to them, um, you know, or equipment or anything like that. Where are you guys at with that? Because, you know, I, I'm I'm on the board for our Bowman's Club. We're doing a uh, a dinner right now 
um, and in the planning stages and we're, we're talking about like, what do you take for donations? Well, if someone just grabs a whole bunch of dusty stuff out of their basement, that's the, the equipment that you <laughs> outlined from that yard sale, like the gestures there, but it maybe doesn't necessarily meet the mark that we're, we're kind of striving for. Um, so how do you deal with that kind of stuff? And, and, and where, where are you looking for, for help? So obviously, um, I always, I always start with the big one. I mean, these nonprofits don't run off of my good looks and my long witted answers that I've been giving you. Um, it's, it, it comes down to funding. I mean, you know, we, we do need to always get funding. I'm, I'm learning how to, you know, do grants right now and stuff, but you know, to sit there and find like that random check that shows up, you know, for whether it's, a hundred bucks or, you know, a thousand dollars. I mean, all that money helps us out with our mission. So, I mean, the first thing is always going to be money, but you know, the, the second thing is like you mentioned about, you know, land property, you know, that's something that, that I, I want, like I said, in the, towards the beginning of the podcast, I would love to be able to find a place to call home. I mean, we're out of Bay city, Michigan right now, but I would love to sit there and, you know, have a chunk of property that we can call home that I can actually build a lodge on and have people come to this lodge. So you got that community aspect there. You got that camaraderie. You got that escape that they can come to and then go out on our property and go hunt. Um, but besides that, I mean, like you said, if someone just has a lease, if they want to, you know, donate the lease it doesn't have to be for the full season and people are like hey i you know i got a spot here i'd love you guys to come out and you know you know come kill a deer um block permits are a huge one i mean farmers i mean if there's any farmers that listen i had a guy that he said next year he's gonna donate uh 20 block permits to us if he gets them again for you know to go out there for does and i'm like yeah let's go i can fill every one of those i mean i got people that never killed deer before i'll get them out but um, equipment, you know, ideally I would love to sit there and say like brand new in the box, but, um, I mean, if someone has, uh, like a used bow, but it's, you know, it's a nice bow. It's in good condition, all decked out with everything. Like, here you go. All you have to do is just get it tuned up and give it to a veteran. I mean, I, I will never say no to something that's used. That's in good condition that can, can actually get repurposed um but like you know you're saying i had some people like hey i got some decoys like you know they handed me a bag of decoys and you know the gesture was there but i mean these things had like no paint left on them if few of were shot up i'm like hey thanks man um <laughs> you know i <laughs> you know the kind of the same concept but like you know tree stands rifle blinds you know it, all that stuff can can go to good use at some point, you know? So, you know, like I said, you know, money trying to find land and then, you know, actually nice, good equipment that's serviceable that we can, you know, utilize and give away to someone that's going to be safe. You know, safety is going to be a huge factor with all that stuff too. So in all of this, you know, between work, uh, nonprofit and, you know, that, that, that thing we, we take for granted, you know, spending time with family and everything. Um, did you get a chance to hunt at all of this year for yourself? Um, have you been able to go out and, and have any success? So, uh, I put all my eggs in one basket. Um, uh, I went out to Kansas and I shot a trophy out there. Um, 
So I was able to get out for, uh, four days of hunting out there. But, um, actually this Friday is going to be my first time going out this season for myself or deer hunting. Um, I really didn't have a lot of time. I mean, my wife is, uh, we're pre she's pregnant right now, you know, we're due in March. So between trying to take care of a two-year-old and doing all these trips, you know, I really didn't have a lot of personal time for myself to actually, you know, get out there. But, you know, I, I still look at, you know, excuse me, you know, looking at, Hey, even though I took, I did 13 different trips this year and I didn't once get out for myself for fishing or deer hunting yet, you know, it was, it was a huge success and I, you know, I loved it. Um, but well, I'm hope I'm pretty excited about this Friday though. You know, hopefully the weather can hold out and I can get out there. But it's it's still gonna be great to be able to clip in and hang from my saddle and just be out there in God's country and the peace and quiet and to have my bow out there and hopefully have the opportunity to, you know, send an arrow. So I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, because you're not the first uh scout sniper that we've had on here, um, to ask you what from that training do you think transitions the best or like has helped you the most in whether it's you know map reading scouting thermals uh any of that stuff i mean uh, you know wind currents at a thousand meters are different here. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that would make my scouting a million times easier <laughs> um a lot of it, you know, when it comes down to like the, the stalking part of it, that was huge. Um, the ability, like you said, map, I mean, you know, um, yeah. Hey, Onyx, I use Onyx, you know, but, uh, not sponsored by them. <laughs> I got to throw that out there. Uh, but to sit there, I can look at a map and get on there and actually try to look at, you know, just the terrain. And just seeing what the terrain's like and kind of have a game plan. And, you know, there's some of my most successful hunts I've had so far in the last two, three years have been in areas I've never been to where I was forced to get out there and put boots on the ground and actually scout. I mean, that that buck that I killed in Kansas, you know, this guy, he's got permission to hunt 2,100 acres spread out all, like over like a couple different counties. So... I'm like, uh, okay, so you probably scouted a lot of this. He's like, not really. I'm like, oh God. So, you know, I jumped on there. I was looking at the wind, seeing, you know, here, here's some fields. So a lot of that kind of tied into it. And like I said about the stalking, I mean, that buck, I had him on the ground and I, I stalked up to a, a point where I thought he was going to come out at. And lo and behold, he did. And, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I didn't, you know, get down and actually, stalk around a little bit and you know try to read the map look at the train trying to figure out which way he's going to come i don't think i would have had a chance to kill him so you know those are the kind of the two biggest ones there and you know obviously you know go without saying i mean you put a rifle in my hands like yeah okay you know between me and well right now i'm shot in a while but you know 800 yards like i i would i would feel totally confident shooting at, you know, 800 to a thousand thousand yards with, with my rifle at a deer knowing because I understand the ballistics of that round. I know what's going to do as long as I can read the good win, but you know, that's like I said, that last one kind of goes without saying, I mean, it's, 
know, being a sniper, you know, I'm pretty good with uh with a rifle, but you know, a lot of people like think like, oh, all you do is shoot. Like, no, it's about you know, 74, 76% of our job was the the scouting and the you know reconnaissance surveillance aspect of it. And uh my patience, that right there ultimately I think is a huge one that did tie in. I mean, I know a lot of people in the military could probably say that about having patience because you can sit there and get fidgety and antsy, but you know, as long as you can have the willpower to, you know, hold out in that, you know, that cold, the wind, the rain and stuff. I mean, good things can happen. And then, so what bow are you shooting this year? So what's your bows, arrows, uh, broadheads, all that stuff. (laughs) So, um, I can't remember the, so I got a prime and I absolutely love it. Um, I want to get one of those new ones, but, um, I got a prime, um, Actually, I'm, I just got switched over to uh, Kanadi Arrows and with the Zinger Fletching. So I got those on. And um, I'm in the process of actually switching broadheads. But this year, I currently have on my bow is the Afflictor broadheads. Uh, I watched uh, Red Arrow. The guy down went down there and he shot a, a boar right in the shoulder, grabbed that same arrow, put it back in his bow, and then ended up killing a doe with it. And it had pass-throughs on both times. I'm like that's the that's the broadhead for me and um trying to think of what uh i think i got a scott's release um can't remember which uh, model it was but did my i bought it i was down in um colorado went on an elk hunt self-guided elk hunt with a buddy of mine and ended up shooting a i mean my eyes is a trophy but a small five by five with my bow but uh, that's why I'm so hesitant to ever get rid of that bow because with the the cams on it, once I hit that back wall, I can just hold it. And I actually have it on my GoPro. I held that bow at full draw for a minute and 32 seconds before I was able to, you know, release the arrow on that on that bull elk. And you know, so I'm I'm, I'm it's so hard for me to probably get rid of that <laughs> bow because of the personal connection I have with it. Uh, those are those are the the tools of the, the trade that I got, and um, right now I'm sitting in a, a trophy line a tree saddle. But uh, if anyone from uh, Latitude Outdoors is listening, <coughs> Michigan brand, <coughs> I'm trying to get a hold of you. So <laughs> I'd like to work with you, guys. <laughs> I might I might know somebody over there. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, does Chris got you in a? Uh, hha site yet or is, is it in oh the mail? yeah yeah i got i got an hsa single pin site and um actually with shane this week we're gonna get together and we're gonna uh, try to get it all sighted in um i currently have a five pin um i think it's a trophy ridge that's on it right now but i've always wanted to get a single pin but yeah chris uh with hsa sports he, he hooked it up and i gotta get a single pin right now and you know, we've had these conver- I don't think we had this conversation yet about, you know, the pros and cons with a single pin versus having multi pin and, you know, which one you would rather use or not. Yeah. So for me, I mean, since we went to like in 2018, when we planned out everything for our, our first Alcon out there, uh, we went to multi pin sliders and, you know, so on one of my bows, I have a HHA. I have their, um, I want to say it's like their, their kingpin, um, five pin slider. And 
so that goes 20, 30, 40. And then my bottom pin is like 65 or something. Maybe it's four pin. I don't know, but it goes 20, 30, 40. And then my bottom one, I think is 55. Um, and I can shoot out to like 110 with that, but that way I know, you know, where it's at. And then if that animal were to come running in, you know, you shoot him or you're, you're set up for, for 20 or for 30 and then he comes closer or whatever. You can do that where you're not dialing around. I mean, I had a, another kingpin light that was just a single pin. Um, and actually I shot that, that little buck right there, um, uh, in 2018 with my brothers. Uh, that was the first year that we all killed on the same day. Uh, with archery equipment, which may never happen again. Um, but I missed a, a buck that was about as big as that one uh, earlier in the morning uh, where I I ranged him at like 42, set my pin at 40, uh, got to full draw, and then he kept coming and coming and coming, and I shot right over top of him. Um, I, I mm-hmm. cut some air, hair right off his back. Um, and that didn't deter me from using that site. And I, I mean, I know exactly what happened and, you know, but in the moment. And so that's what you're dealing with, with a single pin. And it can, it can get really tricky using a multi-pin because with that 20, 30, 40, and then 55 being that site, the bottom pin bottomed out where it is. Like I have to dial that site using my bottom pin as the slider when it's set up at 20, 30, 40, it's 56. I have to set my tape at 56. So at 56, it's correct. And then when I dial down, the bottom pin is the slider, just like it is, would be like a single pin. Okay. And that gets confusing because if like we set that up for my brother-in-law on my old bow, he's got one of my old bows and uh, he missed a really nice buck at 35 because he dialed the site to 35 and put the top pin on it instead of putting it at 40 and just shooting them with the bottom pin or the 20, 30, 40 pin. So you, it, it can get confusing both ways. So it, it can happen. It's just, you, you just have to, just like anything else, you just have to know your equipment and use yep. it and practice. So, yeah, I was, I was just going to say that, you know, because, you know, it's like people always say it's like riding a bicycle. I mean, you know, I had elbow surgery back in the towards the end of September, which kind of ruined the beginning part of me trying to get out deer hunting. But, um, you know, I'm like, Oh, it's like riding a bike. You know, I went out and I started flinging a few arrows and I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I, I got it dialed back in, but it's the repetition that I didn't have. And the confidence wasn't there. Like when I had that buck that I killed, I had him on the ground at, um, 40 yards and he was facing straight towards me and I would have had to have threaded through an opening in, uh, um, a cedar tree. And I'm like, yeah, there, there ain't no way. Like I just, I didn't have the reps in. And that was kind of a humbling moment for me because like you said, you got to know your equipment. And I, I knew I could not make that shot happen. And that's what is leading me towards I need to start practicing more, which is really nice because now it's giving me a great excuse to actually go get a membership at the Bowman's club. So this winter time I can actually get out there and, you know, shoot my bow more because, you know, the same thing with being a sniper. I mean, you can sit there. I can, I can throw you on any rifle 
and as long as I can read good wind and get the good range shot, you just got to pull the trigger. I mean, yeah, it's a little small fundamentals that in between, but it's that repetition with actually, you know, understanding the wind, reading the wind. It's the same thing with deer hunting. I mean, you know, I understand that the, the arrow's velocity is a lot slower. And, um, I actually, two years ago, I missed a nice 10 point with my bow because I ranged him and, I didn't really process because when he was walking towards me, he was at 15 yards. So I'm like, oh, dude, it's a chip shot. Like, I got this. And I shot. And I shot right over his back. But because of how close he was to me and how high I was in the angle, like that really threw the trajectory of my arrow off on top of me basically being in like this weird position because I was kind of almost being gangster. Like I had my bow cocked almost on a total 45 degree angle angled down because that was the only opening I had at him, but and it's I've had a couple humbling moments that made me really realize that you really need to just get those reps in and practice. And you know, I figured if I can try to, I don't know about master, but if I can just get that single pin on and just try it out and just see, and then that way I know firsthand whether or not that's for me or not, if I want to switch back to having a multi-pin. Yeah, I don't, you won't have any issues. It's just, and, and to be honest with you, for everything except hunting, the single pin is king. Like for all the target shooting, because it it builds so much confidence. So like if your tape is right and you're like at your Bowman's Club, like our Bowman's Club, you can shoot. I mean, if you shoot from the parking lot, you can shoot to infinity basically. But, you know, farther than your bow can handle. Mm-hmm. But our range goes from like 10 to 80 or 90 something like that. So you just go up to any one of those, hit your range finder, 70. Okay. Dial it to 70, follow your process and put it in there at 70. I mean, when you're, you know, like, like this year prior to tack, like Frank was dropping, uh, you know, and my, my father-in-law, he's notoriously, um, Kentucky windage type shooter. Like that ought to do it, you know, and when <laughs> yeah. he, when he's dropping, you know, sub paper plate groups at, at 70, you're like, oh man, Frank, you're, you're doing really good. You know, you know, a six inch group at, at 70, you know, the, the bow is on the tapes on, like there's no excuses. And then that's really confidence building. I mean, it's, it's great. Uh, but hunting, you know, when that deer's at 43 and then he's at 30 and then, you know, so that's what we didn't want to happen with elk. So that's why we went with a multi-pin slider um, and just understanding it. But, but you're going to like it, like I said, for everything, everything other than, than hunting and in 90% of hunting situations, you know, you're going to be shooting at deer inside of 30. So if you have your pin just set at 25, it's the same as when you were a kid and you had those three pins or you had that one 20 yard pin and you're like, I got to aim a little higher. I got to aim a little lower. Right. Yeah. Yep. You know, and it's just like your hold for the wind or, or whatever, you know, with the, with the rifle shooting. So, but yeah. So for anybody, like I say, as we wrap this up here that wants to reach out either, you know, to say, you know, to maybe have a, they have a similar story to yours or something like that. If they want to reach out, you know, about, their journey about you know the nonprofit about any ways to help like what's the best place to to get a hold of you or or to reach uh the nonprofit so um 
on our Facebook page and on our website and the same thing on Instagram too. I mean, if you send a message to any of those on the website, we do have uh, an email that's posted there. Um, we reply fast. I mean, I could be sitting here and having a conversation with you and stuff will pop on my phone. So, I mean, I got my phone with me all the time, especially now that I have a nonprofit. I mean, I, I never used to answer random phone calls, but I always answer them now because I never know who's calling. But, um, you know, we got email is, you know, we usually get back within a couple hours or if not, like, you know, within a day. So those are the best ways to try to reach out to us. You know, it's through Facebook Messenger, the email that's on our website. And or if you just wanted to look up me on Facebook personally and send me a message, you know, I got, you know, I'll apply back to that, too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time tonight and, you know, for actually for everything that you're doing really, um, because this isn't, this isn't like a, a podcast about like, this is, this is Andrew. This is how he's going to help you, uh, learn to hunt better, uh, necessarily, but you know, he may be able to save somebody in your family or, or, or help you out. So, um, you know, thank you. Thank you for that. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for this. Uh, so the, amazing platform to be on you know i listen to you guys all the time you know i again that's where i get a lot of my knowledge from is listening to you guys on other podcasts and i just hope that you know if someone's listening that they understand that you know if it's you or if you know someone that they're not alone i mean there's there's thousands of people out there like myself that are trying to help out and all you gotta do is just take that one step and just reach out and that's usually the hardest thing i mean you know, big macho guys like, oh, I, you know, I'll keep it tucked up inside. And then you keep it tucked up until, you know, you hit that breaking point. But, you know, even if you have someone that you know that, you know, is just struggling and they won't reach out on their own, um, you know, if you're comfortable, give them my contact information or give me theirs. I'll reach out to them personally. And, you know, we can do stuff together that doesn't have to be, you know, all of our social media. You know, people just need to understand that our mission is just to help. So, you know, just have people just reach out ultimately. That's what we need. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank you, Adam. Have a great one.